The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. Good morning. It is good to be here with you this morning. And, you know, being in January, we're still at that time of the new year where I think we take stock of our lives, right? We say, hey, what's ahead of us this year? Well, one of the places where lives really get taken stock of is at funerals, and particular at the time of the eulogy when someone's reflecting on the person's life. Jerry Seinfeld said this about eulogies. According to most studies, people's number one fear is public speaking. Number two is death. Death is number two. Does that sound right? This means to the average person, if you go to a funeral, you're better off in the casket than doing the eulogy. Or George Carlin says, I'm always relieved when someone is delivering a eulogy and I realize I'm listening to it. Well, eulogies are that time in a funeral that's supposed to test, attest to the legacy of a person's life. Now I'm realizing I need the little clicker. Oh, there we go. And so it attests to the per- legacy of a person's life. Now, in this passage that we heard, Paul himself isn't actually dying, but it is a final farewell. I don't know if you caught that, that this is a final farewell. And so he's, and so he's, he's giving this... Uh, this picture to these Ephesian leaders. And so I want to ask, have us ask this morning two questions. What is the legacy that Paul is trying to leave behind? And then in turn, what is our legacy? And if you get a little nervous about that, because some of us Calvinists who, you know, go, who am I? Oh, woe is me. The reality is our lives do leave legacy whether we realize it or not. It's like I live right by Lake Erie, and when you see the boats on the water, they necessarily leave a wake in their path. And I believe that is true of our lives, and that is our legacy, is what is the wake that we are leaving behind us as we live our lives? Oh. Is on. Thanks. Is it on? There, thanks. Always technology. So here's the question. What is your legacy? Well, the first thing I want to suggest this morning is your actual life is the legacy. Paul says that himself, maybe not exactly in this passage, but time again in his letters. Paul is quite audacious, right? Because Paul says, be like me. Now, thankfully, he adds on, be like me as I am like Christ. So he doesn't have so big of an ego. He's saying, be like me. In the ways that I am like Christ, I want you to follow me. The reason why he says that is very practical. Because most of the people he's talking to never met Jesus. Most of the people he's talking to are Gentile believers. So he knows that they need examples. He knows that they need heroes of the faith to help them picture what the Christian life looks like. Friends, I want to suggest to you this morning that we are the new heroes of the faith. 
that it is our lives that give picture to what it is like to live for Christ and his kingdom. And heroes are really important, especially in teenager and, and children's lives. Some years back when I was in campus ministry and doing some leadership training, I ran across this uh, documentary, and it was about African-American kids in the inner city and what were some factors that helped them succeed. One of the factors they found was the kids who had heroes did better in life than those who didn't. And that hero could be Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King, could be a grandparent, a teacher, a coach. Friends, we are those heroes. Through the legacy of our lives, we help others stay the course and we give them encouragement. So your life is the legacy. How we face suffering is also part of our legacy. Paul, as you heard in this passage, he knew suffering was coming. I don't think he was a masochist. I don't think he was like, great, I'm going to suffer. But he knew that suffering was part of following a suffering Savior. He knew it was coming, and he faced it out of love for Christ and a passion for his kingdom. How we face suffering is part of the legacy we leave. Right now, we are in very strange historical times, right? Economically, we've just kind of come through and are still coming through a pandemic. Climate change, how we handle this. Our church denomination, I heard that you just had a conversation on Saturday about the HSR. Well done. Well done. How you handle that is the legacy you leave as a church for your children in particular. Does suffering grow us? Or does it shrink us? I remember years ago meeting two uh, elderly men in my church at the time. They had both were Dutch immigrants and both had been part of the Indonesian war and really difficult times. One was full of joy. And I, I he was one of those people you want to be by that you hope the joy rubs off. The other one was so stuck in bitterness. And don't hear judgment there. He just hadn't done the hard work of processing what had happened in his life. So how do you face suffering? Of course, our legacy is about obedience to Christ by his Holy Spirit and direction. We see with Paul that he doesn't just follow his own whims. He's constantly seeking Christ's will through the Holy Spirit. We are empowered, friends, by that same Holy Spirit. We are post-Pentecost people. I just love saying that. And how do we understand the Holy Spirit and Christ's will for our lives? Through habits and rhythms, right? Things like worship, silence, prayer, Bible study, community living, and learning how to have that posture of listening in every aspect of our lives, to be aware and attentive to where God is moving. How do we grow in the capacity to be obedient? And it's the integrity of the Christian life that gets traction. People, I mean, I deal, I work a lot with young adults, and they're not looking for perfection. They're looking for integrity. They're looking for people who are trying to do the best that they can in following Jesus and having an impact for the world. So have obedience to Christ by the Holy Spirit's direction. Then Paul says to the leaders when he meets with them, and, uh, the uh, Ephesian leaders, keep watch over yourself. 
Paul himself put things in, to support his own legacy. He had a community of faith. He did not do this journey on his own. He had partners in ministry. I, I thought it was interesting in the passage that he walks from Asos by himself. Or maybe he had people. But I wondered, and this is my interpretation, I wonder if he did it to have some time of silence and solitude before he met with the leaders, right? He kept watch over himself so that his life had integrity and character. Friends, that's where we start. It's so easy to point fingers. This world is going to hell in a handbasket. The church is a mess. My family is dysfunctional, right? Which may all be true. But we start with ourselves because that's all we have control over, right? It starts with personal transformation. How do I be a wellspring of health and life in the systems in which I find myself, right? Like, it's like when you, I'm not, maybe many of us haven't flown a whole lot lately, but when you go on the airplane, right, what they say about the oxygen mask, put it on yourself first, and then give it to the other person. So Paul is saying that part of our legacy is we keep watch over ourselves first. But we don't stop there, which you can have anticipated, right? We keep watch over others. I love this passage because Paul has such passion and a heavy burden for these leaders and we see throughout his letters for the young churches. He knew they were open to dangers without and even more insidiously within. He followed up with his letters to be read and studied, and this meeting was in particular to really encourage these leaders and to, to keep watch over their flock. Friends, even if you aren't a pastor or an elder or a deacon, you have people that are in your sphere of influence, and these are the people that you are called to keep watch over. How do you nurture the Christ light in others? Whenever I do pre-marriage courses, I say to the couple, happiness is not your main goal. Like, I hope you get some happiness in your marriage. That's a helpful thing. But the main goal is that you are helping the other be the best person in Christ that they can be. And they are helping you be the best person in Christ that you can be. So keep watch over others. Live a generous life right? Paul's quote of Jesus, interesting, is not written down anymore. It's better to give than to receive. Paul himself often says, I pour myself out like a drink offering. The reason he skips over his Ephesus is that he's eager to get to Jerusalem before Pentecost because he has money from these Gentile churches. He wants to show the generosity of these new converts, and it's the character of his life that he gave. He also received. He couldn't have gotten this far if people weren't supporting him. So I want to suggest that generosity is not just about giving, but it's also learning how to graciously receive. So my question for you this morning is, what does generosity look like in your life? And if you're like students and say, well, I don't have a lot of money, it's not just about money. It's about person. It's about time. It's about talents. When we live a generous life, we point to the fact that we have a deep trust in God's providence. We point to the fact that, friends, everything we have, everything we are, is pure gift. The very breath that you're breathing right now is pure gift. So if God is that generous with us, why wouldn't we be generous with others? Plus, it's fun. Love deeply and well. 
And you get this from Paul. Look at that touching scene at the end, right? They, the, the elders are like, they're, the most thing they're upset about is that he said they won't see him again. There's such love there. He only spent three years in Ephesus. And look at the depth of love and appreciation. So that they prayed and they wept, they embraced and they kissed. Friends, we are called to a life of love and to invest in those around us. No matter how long we are in a place. I see some students over here. I met them when I went to McMaster last semester. But, you know, it's easy when you're at school to be like, well, I'm only here for four years. You know, why do I invest? Invest! Right? Paul invested in Ephesus. We are called to invest and love. Myself, I've been part of, since leaving home, I grew up in Strathroy, by the way, but since leaving home, I've been part of six different communities. And I have always said to myself, I'm going to love so deeply that when I leave, I will be really sad. Because when you love deeply, you grieve deeply. So invest and know that these relationships are for eternity. These are people you're investing in. So some of you who are students and maybe friends for a while, like you are investing in relationships that are for eternity. So love deeply, love well. And then finally, not that it's the last thing, it's probably the most important thing, but commit yourself to God and his word of grace. Because behind Paul, it's always Christ, right? Paul can't get enough about talking about Christ. Christ and his glorious grace. Christ and his grace is what drives and shapes and fuels Paul's life in ministry. Christ, who bought the church with his blood. Christ, who is the fulfillment of history. Christ, who is the hope of the future. This is what needs to pulsate in our very veins. We can't do this on our own. Christ always needs to be in our sight lines, friends. Living and breathing God's grace in Christ for us. Because here's the reality. What captures our hearts leads our lives. Let me say that again. What captures our hearts leads our lives. What we love is what leads our lives. And so if we're people who want to leave a legacy for the kingdom and for Christ, it's got to be Christ that has captured our hearts and spurs on our imaginations. Well, I want to tell you a little bit, as you probably were expecting, about the SoCo Beach Project and kind of how does it fit into this whole story of legacy. Well, some years back, I was part of campus ministry. That's me on the left there. Um, and my friend, Nikki Johnson. At the time, that's when I, I think I was 26 at the time. Young and vibrant. Now I'm old and vibrant. But anyway. Um, and there was a thing called the Ocean City Beach Project. So you need to know SoCo doesn't, isn't original to me. I took a really good idea and stole it and tried to fit it here. But Nikki Johnson was a student at the time at the Beach Project. Now she's a professor. And she wrote this book, which I love, is Faithful Witness in a Fractured World. And the subtitle is How Not to Be a Crappy Christian. You gotta love it. But she went to the beach project, and when I was starting this SoCo beach project, I asked Nikki, could you reflect a little bit on what the beach project did for you 25, 26 years ago? So she says this, I can trace so much of my current faith commitments and theological perspectives back to that summer. It's rather unbelievable. 
Of course, this summer is connected to so many things like mentoring by campus ministry staff and my courses at university and things like that. But I would say the Beach Project was a comprehensive, all-encompassing, culminating experience of so many other pieces. I would say without a doubt that that summer is where my faith got real. It's where all the theoretical stuff got to be practiced in really tangible ways and with intention. And so that's what spurred me on to do this SoCo Beach Project. And that's where I'm asking churches and our denomination and other Christians to partner with me in creating this legacy for young adults. Some of you may have heard of the studies done, hemorrhaging faith, which is why are young adults leaving the church and faith, and then renegotiating faith, which looks at what, why do some young adults actually stick with the faith. And one of the factors, among many, is having a summer experience of leadership and discipleship formation. Typically, those experiences are summer camp. I did summer camp years ago at Scott Mission Camp, if anybody ever did that themselves, um, and, or doing a missions trip. The problem with those experiences, summer camp, you got to like kids, and you don't make a lot of money. Missions trips is you usually have to raise money, and you don't make money. Well, these are students, friends. This is the time of life where they need to make money, and their parents in particular are saying, you need to make money. So the Beach Project is something, an alternative. It happens in Port Dover. Anybody been to Port Dover? Anybody there for this Friday the 13th? Just checking. Um, it's beautiful. My husband grew up in Port Dover. That's how I discovered it. I live there now. And just this past summer, we had our second cohort of students. So this Beach Project has had two summers all told of seven students each summer. And it was amazing because it was birthed in the midst of the pandemic, which was an absolute miracle. And the SoCo experience is 7 to 12 young adults, ages 18 to 29, who live together through the summer months. So what is the SoCo experience? It's intentional community living where they eat together, they do life together. More importantly, they live together. And this is the new house we get to close on January 31st. Woo, woo, woo. This is the legacy of God's people for young adults. This is how much, hey, this is how much these people love young adults. They're willing to put money into a house. You need to know that. And they do new meals together. There's also leadership uh, formation. So we bring in different speakers. There you see Chong. Some of you may know Chong. We talk about issues of theology of place, healthy sexuality, leadership, discipleship, racism, to try to really get into those topics. And then we also have working local summer jobs. This is the key. This is what makes a difference. Is they get to work and they get to keep their money. So different jobs, uh, some are Indwell and Simcoe, working at Willie's by the Beach, if anybody's been to Port Dover. And then serving Port Dover in Norfolk County. Last year, at Friday the 13th in May, we handed out freezies to all these bikers. It was a hoot. And we also have a partnership with a local nonprofit, helping with food security. And so now I want to have you listen to participants from last summer just to reflect on the legacy that is being built in them through the SoCo Beach Project. 
Coming into this summer, I wasn't quite sure if it would be good. I was worried that the other participants and I might not really connect, but uh, now I'm confident that I made the right decision to come here. Um, while sometimes it was sort of hard to get started, it definitely paid off in the long run. God has worked in each participant in a very different way, but I also think that that has come through in the group dynamic. and. We've just learned about ourselves and learned about each other, which has made us all more open-minded as we approach people and learn to listen better and ask better questions. We've all talked about our experiences with God and they're all pretty different. And I feel like they've been able to adopt some of those ways of seeing God and apply it to their own life, which is made for a lot of growth for all of us. I think as the summer progressed, I found joy in my work, I found joy and relationships and joy in nature. And I think as a result, I've grown more confident in myself. And I think I'm also just happier. Not everything is perfect now, but there's kind of a sense of peace over it all. I think I've seen God help my peers and myself find our strengths. And I think he's played a big role in yeah, helping us understand who we are through Him. I've had quite a few very good conversations on my beliefs this summer, and I don't want that to stop happening. So I think it's it's going to be really important for me to take the role of a leader in those kinds of situations and just be willing to ask questions to people and start those conversations with them. For someone considering the SoCo Beach Project next summer, um, know that you'll have to probably share a lot about yourself so if that's something that causes you discomfort, it may be tough, but it's a good thing to step into and you won't regret it afterward. Community is important. Community is why you're coming here. Try, remember those around you and give them the attention they deserve and you'll find that it benefits yourself as well. If they are truly prepared for growth and looking for growth, they're going to be growing in so many more aspects of their life and in such larger ways than they would have ever expected going into the project. And it is such a good opportunity for great growth in your life. And I am, uh, applications are open for this coming summer. So come see me after if you're interested or know somebody who I should be talking to. But this is the legacy that the SoCo Beach Project is trying to create in young adults. But I want to give another example. If you're like, well, okay, great, but what does this look like for my life? A great example is Jimmy Carter. And he was born in October 20, 1924 to a peanut farmer in Georgia. Raised in a deeply religious home, Baptist, he was the first person from his father's side to graduate high school, studied engineering, and went into the Navy and then married his childhood sweetheart, Rosalind Smith. Eventually, he moves back home right after his father's death and becomes involved in local politics. Well, as you may remember, the 1950s was a time of desegregation, and he was the only white man in town who refused to join the segregation group. And so there was a lot of derogatory signs around town against the Carters. And then, of course, we know him as the president, right? He, was, he became the Democratic candidate in, from 1979 to 81. He became the 39th president. What's interesting is he was considered a failed president. 
right, that he was considered a weak leader and he, he botched a hostage mission. Now, I'll admit, if this had been me and I'd made this kind of mistake on the world stage, I think I probably would have hidden in a hole and never come out. But what's so interesting with Jimmy Carter is his legacy after his presidency, right? He faced it and he persevered. He's now known for his humanitarian efforts, Habitat for Humanity, his human rights efforts, his promotion of peace in the Middle East. He won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2002. And now he's considered one of the greatest ex-presidents of the United States of America. And what's so interesting about Jimmy Carter is that it's his faith. It was his faith that shaped his life, his politics, his peacemaking. It's his faith that shaped his legacy. So that this is what he says. My faith demands, this is not optional. My faith demands that I do whatever I can, wherever I am, whenever I can, for as long as I can, with whatever I have to try to make a difference. And all God's people say? I invite you into a word of prayer. O holy God, Father, Son, and Spirit, we thank you for the Apostle Paul and the amazing legacy of ministry that he left for us and that you continue to work through. We thank you that we get to be part of this kingdom legacy. It's overwhelming. It's exciting. And God, I just pray for all of us here to listen to the stirring of the Holy Spirit in how we can get more aligned with your kingdom, with you, Jesus Christ. How can we grow more deeper in love with you so that it shapes our imagination and we leave a legacy of glory for you, Jesus, and your kingdom? In particular, I want to pray for our young adults, not just for SoCo, but for other avenues like McMaster, like the campus ministry, and at Mohawk, Lord, for the, the ministries we do in our churches the ways that we walk alongside our young adults to encourage them to be part of growing this kind of legacy in their own lives. And so we lift this up to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.